Okay, we finished First John last week, the <coughs> letter First John. We go to the second uh, John now this week. It's only one chapter, so we can should be able to finish it in one week. And uh, uh, now you all are scholars. You, you're all Bible scholars, and you got all the answers. You got everything figured out because we just explained it in First John. And so we'll see how you do tonight. I'm going to let you teach the class. And, uh, remember where we came from. In 1 John, there were major concepts that John was trying to broaden our spectrum, get a larger view of these concepts. One was the concept of family. Remember he talked about that. The concept of love. How he spread out on that concept of sin. And his most one that he liked so much, who is Jesus? And he talks about those major concepts in that book as he spreads them out for us and we get a larger point of view. He's trying to open up our point of view. Because when we come to Second John, we got a little bit of a problem. Well, normally you wouldn't even think about it because in your Bible it says the second epistle of John. Does everybody's Bible say that? Second epistle of John. Uh, but if we lived back 2,000 years ago, uh, we'd have to scratch our head because what we have here is an unsigned letter. So, can you imagine somebody takes this letter and sticks it in their dresser drawer or whatever, and somebody pulls it out one day and they go, oh, I think John wrote this. Well, how do you know? Well, I don't know because it's not, it's not signed. It's not signed. would be a real problem. And then somebody would have to step up and say, well... You know, I was there, I remember that it happened. But we have a letter here that's not signed. And so uh, you can think that if you find an unsigned document, you know, that's what they want documents to be, signed, right? <laughs> so they took the Declaration of Independence, they signed it, right? That's why you sign your check. You don't just send it in, you've got to sign it. It has weight, your signature has weight behind it. And we come to the second epistle of John, it says in your Bible, and somebody decided a long time ago uh, that this was written by John, even though it's an unsigned letter. And so uh, that's the first question to think of. You know, how, how do we know for sure? Well, what is there about it that made them say, oh, we know this is John? Now, you know that, right? Because you just learned all that. So your head is full of knowledge about John and the way he thinks and how he writes, how he takes these concepts and enlarges them. And so he, we've just been through five chapters of John's unusual approach to truth. And it was all based on one thing. What was it? Do you remember? How did First John start? We touched him. We, we touched him. We felt him. We 
saw him, he heard him. He said, that's why, he says, I'm coming to you because I was there and I touched him and I saw him and I felt him and I heard him. And he said, my facts are based on that. And so we're going to throw a couple of facts on the board now that are not in the Bible. We have them through history. And they have come down to us uh, just through history. And authors way, way back in the year 200 and 300 wrote these little facts down and they were preserved because of that. One uh, fact is that John was the oldest of the disciples. He lived, outlived all of them. All right. He lived to be older than all the rest. He lived to be, we think, in his 80s and was pretty old for that time. And, of course, Peter was crucified and other ones were killed in many different ways. Uh, some went to as far as India. We believe Thomas went to India. We believe uh, uh, Peter uh, went to uh, Spain. Some of them went to England. I mean, they went all over the world, literally all over the world. And John was the one that kind of stayed closer to home. And, but he lived the longest. And so he outlived all the other disciples. And he wasn't, he was put on the Isle of Patmos for a while uh, as uh, they stuck him out there to get him out of the, they said, we got to get rid of this guy. He's too powerful. Put him on an island in the ocean and leave him there. And then what does he do but write revelations while he's there? Ha, huh, that didn't work, did it? Didn't get rid of him that way. Uh, but he comes back from there. And uh, they said when he died uh, that he had camel, uh, camel skin knees. Uh, camel skin knees. That is, he prayed so much on his knees that when they buried him, they said his knees are all like leather. He's been living more on his knees than any other place. And then another thing, this story about him, that he was uh, in like an open theater type house, and there was some uh, renowned uh, bad guy <laughs> who came in, and he, they said he ran out the door. I can't be in here with him. And he ran out the door. And that little strange little fact uh, came down through history. And so uh, he ran away uh, from this person, whoever he was, and had a very bad reputation. And so there's three little facts in history that come down to us about John. And they're worth keeping an eye on as we go through this because we want to figure out uh, we, we got an immediate problem. It says, here we go, Second John, uh, the elder. All right? he, so who's writing it calls himself the elder. And what do we know about John? He's the oldest one. All right. So, okay, that might be a little help. Something to keep in mind. Unto the elect lady and her children. And the question is, and always has been, and still is today, who is the elect lady? 
Who is the elect lady? And there are very, very good, reliable people who have thought about this and answered this question, and they come up with two opposing answers. So they got two opinions. Uh, some people say she's just a, a, a lady, just an important person, a lady that John knew. And some people say that the elect lady is the church. So it's a, some people say the elect lady is the church. And we know that the church, he talks about families, right? He's always using family terms. And he says, well, the elect lady, he's talking about the bride of Christ. And so he's writing to a church. All right? He's writing to a church. And good people are on both sides of that argument. So what do you think? Scholars. What do you think? Church, 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 church. It's, it's not a simple question. Uh, question, I suppose, uh, they go back into the Greek and they say, well, maybe in the Greek there's something that will help us determine whether he's writing to the church or whether he's writing to the lady. And my, two of my favorite guys are on either side of it. <laughs> one says he's definitely writing to a lady. The other one says he's definitely writing to the church. So if you had to decide from your knowledge of First John, which you just did five weeks in a row, what does John call the church? In specific, what does he call the church? Huh? No. He always refers to him as anybody? My little children. You see it over and over again. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He's always referring to the one he's writing to, which is a church. He calls them my little children. Right? And so uh, in that, he has given a title that he seems to like to use for the church. And so if I'm going to go by 1 John, then I'm going to say, if he was going to talk to the church, he'd say, like he always says, my little children. Right? So maybe he's just talking to a lady. Does anybody else ever do that? Sure. Sure. You can go to Paul's letters, and what do you find? He writes to Timothy. He writes to Titus. He writes to Philemon, 
And those are all individuals. And Timothy is a young preacher. He's trying to help him become a good preacher. Titus is an an important man who's in charge of churches. And he tells him, here's what you need to do when you're running a church. Set it up like this. Philemon is just a guy uh, who had a servant that ran away. And Paul writes a letter, you know, I met your servant, your runaway, and he's a Christian. I want you to take him back. (laughs) I don't want you to treat him like a dog when he gets back because he's a runaway. He's your brother in Christ. And so he writes very personal letters to individuals. So is there any reason that John doesn't write to an individual? No, it's reasonable. And so, my opinion, because of what we read in 1 John, where he always called him my little children, is that he just knows this lady. Now, she's not any lady. Uh, she is a special lady. She's an elect lady. She is maybe a lady somewhere of priority in some way, uh, but he has come to know her. And one of the things that we know about John is, as we forget about when we're reading, uh, we say, well, he's a fisherman, come off the lake. Yeah, well, he also was friends with a high priest in Jerusalem. And when Jesus is put on trial in Caiaphas' house, John walks right in. So, oh, it's John. Oh, let him in. He's a, he's a friend of the family. And Peter, he brings in Peter with him. Peter gets in trouble. And Peter's out in the courtyard because he can't go in the house where John can go. He's out in the courtyard and he denies Jesus there three times. See, but John has a connection. So John seems to be, and we don't know why, we can't explain it, but he seems to have connections and he seems to know people. And that seems to grow as he develops as uh, an apostle. And so we think that maybe this is just a lady. Now, does it going to make a lot of difference? Don't make any difference. <laughs> you could have said anything. When I asked you who wrote it, you say whatever you want, a man on the moon. You know, it doesn't matter because the advice is good for individuals and church too. So, uh, you know, those are kind of things. Well, we have a little fun. We look at the possibilities and wonder how we interpret it and how they decide that this was John. Did somebody find the letter and then right on the bottom? By the way, John wrote this. Probably not. Uh, These letters were passed around. We know that Paul's letters, he said when he wrote them, pass this around. And they went from church to church to church. And so uh, these are unique things. These are the people who lived with Jesus. And that's what John says. You know, I lived with Jesus. Now, this is what convinces me. Yes, he calls himself the elder, and he was the oldest of the apostles, lived to be, outlived all the rest of them. Uh, But you're going to see something right now, and we're going to, Read through about four verses, and you're going to tell me what you saw. Ready? 
the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. I greatly rejoice that I found of thy children walking in truth as we received the commandment from the Father. What would you hear? Truth. How many times? Six times. Four verses, six times. You use the word truth, 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 truth. Sounds like somebody I know that used the word love, love, love. <laughs> right? Right? Uh, sin, 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 sin. And it's very much like John. He's going to repeat the thing and say it over and over again. And so his word in Second uh, John here is truth. And he hit it six times in four verses. Now, Let's go back to that magic spot, John's Gospel, chapter 1. It helps us so much when we're trying to understand these letters. And you should kind of know this by heart by now. We've, been, we've mentioned it, I think, four times in five weeks. We know what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. Without him, not anything made that was made. He's talking about Jesus coming into the world. All right. <clears throat> he made everything. In him was life. Life was the light of men. And then verse 14 is where he puts the crowning touch. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There he is. There he is. In his entrance statement into all that he believes, he said, Jesus Christ was full of truth. And so as he walked and talked and touched and handled and felt and heard and saw all that Jesus did, you say, what's your impression? Well, I'll tell you what, he says. From the moment I first saw him at the River Jordan, we're standing there, and he comes walking over the hill, and John says, Behold the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. And we followed him home that night, and he turned around and said, Can I help you? <laughs> and he says, Well, we were just kind of wondering where you're going. He said, Would you like to come home with me? And they did. They went home with him. And it said he talked all night. And for the first time, John sat there and soaked it in. Soaked it in. He said every time he talked, he was teaching us about life. He was filling us with truth. As a matter of fact, when I think of him, I say he's full of truth. He's always explaining things. Constantly Explaining to us, teaching to us, revealing to us, helping us to understand. And for three and a half years we followed him around and you'd think we'd have got it. And then they crucified him. And we scratched our heads and he came back a couple days later. He said, you don't believe? <laughs> 
You don't believe. You didn't get it yet. And so he did it again. And he explained to them the whole Bible. That I wish I was there for that. He started, it says, in the book of Genesis, and he explained the whole Bible to them in that upper room when he rose from the dead. Wow. Full of truth. Constantly pouring out of him is truth. And so that you just take it in, and you take it in, and you take it in, and you take it in, and you, you're just, he's just uh, swimming in it. And so he's very much filled with the concept of truth, all right, that came right from Jesus as he's explaining. And there's nobody explains it like Jesus. I mean, the parables. He's, he's making up stories. He makes up stories. Tells you a little made-up story, and when you're done, it's like, oh, I get it. From a made-up story. I tell little stories that are true. All right, things that happened to me. Jesus had the ability to do that, but he also uh, just said, here, there once was a guy and he wanted his father's money before he was supposed to take it. So he went in and said, I want my money now. And he took off. He becomes the prodigal son. Everything is truth, truth, full of truth. And so he's teaching us constantly about life. And he says, when I think about him, that's what I think about. So let's read it again. The elder, John, to the elect lady and her children... Maybe a lady in her family whom I love in the truth. All right, we share something. Truth. So, what is truth? Well, it's the gospel story, it's Jesus' story. We call it the gospel or the good news. It's just truth about life, and we share that. He says, I love you in the truth, all right? And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. So uh, this lady, whoever she is, and her children, people love her because they know the truth. I know the truth, he says, and we saw something in you for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. And he says, now I've got the truth in me, and that's why I love you, because part of that whole Jesus' story is what? Love. God has commended his love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, John says. So we have this love connection. Verse 2, for the truth's sake, because the true story which is in us, and shall be with us forever. So you're going to take in the truth of God, who he is, who Jesus was, and what's it going to do for you? It's going to live in you forever. It's going to be forever true, and we will grasp it more and more and more and more and more and more and more. When we get up to heaven, we'll say, wow, I didn't know that. When you walk in the door, the first thing you're going to say is, I didn't know that. First thing you're going to say, you get to heaven. The first thing you're going to walk in, you're going to see things up there. I never dreamed. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You meet Jesus and say, I didn't know. 
I didn't know. There's a lot we don't know. Verse 3. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And so he says to them, which is a kind of a common greeting among the, the apostles, I want some things to happen to you. One thing I want is grace for you. Grace is unmerited favor, or I want something for you that you don't deserve. That's called grace. It's what you don't deserve. So first thing he says, here's what I want for you, lady. You elect lady. I want uh, something uh, uh, that you don't even deserve to happen to you. Something good. I want mercy to happen to you and peace. Mercy is God being really kind and peace or mercy is turning away from our sins when we sin, wash them away as merciful. And peace is what results from that. And I love peace. Don't you love peace? I love peace. I love it. I want peace. I love peace. I like things to be peaceful. And he says, peace. I want those things for you from God, from Jesus Christ, in truth and in love. So you're going to get truth too. And love, of course, will wrap the whole thing up. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we've received a commandment from the Father. So, he says, there are things that we learned about God, about the truth. We talked about those considerably last week. Of course, you all recall, right? Remember way last week we talked about those things? Things that God said, that Jesus said to do, that we're going to do. And he says, I've been watching your children, and they're walking in truth, or they do what is right. And it makes me really happy to see your children do what is right. I was thrilled. I met your kids, and they're doing what's right. And you say, well, what if it's the church? That's okay. He met somebody from the church, and they're doing right. I say, it doesn't matter too much. All right, I think it's a lady, personally, and you'll see why as we get farther on. But he says, I was really happy to meet your kids, and they're growing, and they're living a life for Christ. They're doing the right thing. They're walking in the facts, the truth that they have learned. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. It's another John theme. So any question that John wrote, does tear it up that he didn't write it. Tear it up, throw it away, don't worry about it. It's all the same theme. Same concepts being now repeated through John 2. So that's why we did John 1 first, because now this is snap, you got it. You over the reader, I, I know. I know what they're talking about now, right? Sure? Okay, good. I want you to say yes. Because we want we don't want to say, well, last five weeks I forgot, so we got to, now we got to say it again. No, no, we have the concept here. He said, now I'm telling you, my dear lady friend, that uh, we need to love from another. God said that. That was his thing. And he said, you know, the Old Testament, all the rules in the Old Testament, all wound up in two commandments. Love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It's always been that. 
And so he says, I'm telling you, I want you to walk in love, verse 6. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. Hereby we know that he are his disciples, that we do what he says. This is a commandment, that you should have heard it from the beginning, you should walk in it. All right? And so um, the truth that Jesus came and, and enlightened us with is all wrapped in love. So the truth that is wrapped in love and I really enjoyed talking to your family. They're doing great. And I'm really happy about that. However, however, I'm going to warn you about something here. And uh, this is kind of John's point of writing the letter. Okay, here we go, verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now we know he just said that in 1 John, right? Talked about people who come and say, ah, Jesus is not who everybody says. And he says, you've got to watch that because they are deceivers coming into the world, all right, and they're trying to deceive. And he said, they are powered by the spirit of Antichrist. That is, they don't come in scratching their heads and, and are not able to communicate. They come in with a story to tell, and they come, the spirit of Antichrist is, of course, who? Satan, spirit of Antichrist, he was antichrist. He tried to stop him as soon as he got baptized. He came against him as antichrist, that spirit. And he said, now the spirit is antichrist, he says, and it's deceiving. Satan was a liar, Jesus said, from the very beginning he's a liar. And so he's still a liar, and you've got to watch it because people are going to come and lie and say things. So, verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which he have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. I would say verse 8 is the purpose for writing 2 John. Verse 8 is the purpose. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. There is a tendency among humans uh, to go so far and stop. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen it as pastor of this church. I can't even count them all. They go so far, and they stop. So they're doing good, they're making progress, and then they stop. There's a tendency, you know, as soon as you stop, as soon as you stop, you don't say, well, oh, I think I'm kind of growing up now as a Christian. I'm just going to kind of take it easy and go with what I got. No, nope. the minute you stop, you shrink, and you shrink, and you shrink. You cannot stop. All right? And so uh, the problem in the human issues of life is that people are unfaithful. start, go for a while, and then they fade away. And like Paul says, it's a race. Got to look at life as a race, and we're going to start the race and finish it. 
There's a whole lot of people who start it and then never, ever, ever finish it. They wander off somewhere halfway there. And he said, that's a real problem. We have this truth that Jesus poured out of him and we were sucking it into our souls. Give me more, give me more, give me more. And, uh, and he, when he left, we were all concerned. Now what? And he said, don't worry, I'm sending another. <laughs> I'll send a helper, a call alongside one. Paraclete was the word, which means call alongside. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He said, so I'm sending him, and he's going to whisper truth in your ear the whole time. He's going to be telling you truth. So he says, it'll keep going, and you'll keep growing, and you keep learning, and then one day you're going to stop. And that's not good. One day you're going to stop and decide, well, I'm doing good. I had people come right to me and tell me. One fellow came in and said to me, you know, when you talk, I know everything you're going to say. Says, everything you say, I know what you're going to say before you say it. Uh, I, I didn't really know what to say. I, I almost said, well, you preach. but I, It was funny because he brought his kids on Friday night, dropped them off for Friday night, kids' night, and he'd come to pick them up. He'd be waiting out in the parking lot. And I went out to his car, say hello to him. He was so drunk, he couldn't even speak. But he said to me, I know everything you say before you say it. That's an attitude, see. That's not a fact, but it's an attitude. Man, I, I got it all together. I know it's cooking, you know. I've had other people tell me, I got tired of coming to church because I know what you're going to say before you say it. Good, good. I hope you do know, but I don't think so. <laughs> but people stopped. And the strange thing is I've had some of those people come back to me and say, what a mistake it was. What a mistake it was. Well, you can fix it always. You can always fix it. But uh, that's a real issue in the Christian experience. And you really got to think about it because this is John's point here. He said, I saw your kids and they were wonderful. I love them. But I want them to stop. Because why? There's people out there lying. And those people are going to pull them off track if you're not careful. And so we really got to learn and get it right so that we don't quit. And the Bible is strong on it. Hebrews chapter 10. You look at Hebrews chapter 10. It's the very issue. And it's all through the Bible. I could, I could give you a hundred verses for it. But uh, just look at a couple here. Hebrews 10, verse 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience. And after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he 
that shall come will come and will not tarry. The just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. You know, if you're starting with God and you say, I'm, I'm in, here we go, and then all of a sudden you just kind of wander off, God says, I got no pleasure in that. I don't like that. When you get started and then you quit, he said, I don't have it like that. Verse 39, we are not them who draw back under perdition, but them who believe to the saving of the soul. And he says, it's possible, he says, to get started and then quit and go all the way back where you have nothing left. He said, you really need to be careful of that. And, and then uh, uh, look at Revelations chapter 2. And this is, of course, written by John 2, Revelation chapter 2. Verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. You may be tried, and you will have tribulation ten days. But here it is. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So how long we got to keep going till you're dead? Perfectly defined. Be faithful unto death. I'm going to say I'm going to follow God how long? Till I'm dead. Till I can't do anything else. I'm going to follow God till I'm dead. It's just if you're faithful unto death, and when you die and you come across, I give you a crown of life. Man, I want that crown. I want to say I was faithful right till the end. But I couldn't do anything else. It was over. I was faithful. And that's a huge issue. That's a huge problem in the church of Jesus Christ. Is that people come for a little while and then they go. They come for a little while and then they go. And we got to get with it, stay with it. And determine that we're going to do this right till the end. Now, it's not just that. Look what he said back in uh, 2 John, verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. Or uh, you've learned things. Let's keep them in our mind. But that we receive a full reward. And some people will say, well, I'm saved. And that's good enough. And they're going to go across the, the, the line and the end of the race and God will say well where were you? Well I believe in you yeah but where were you? I, I, I couldn't use you. You weren't available. And I think a lot to do with serving God is are you available? Are you available? Are you there so that God, if he needs you, can use you? Are you available? Are you faithful? And say to God, I'll be here. He says, so, well, not just that you don't finish the race, but you lose the reward at the end. And so John says, I met your kids. They're doing good. They're walking in truth. But I want to make sure. I want to make sure that they finish the race and that they get a reward for what they've done. Verse 9. Whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. 
He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he had both the Father and the Son. And so if you wander off halfway and don't finish, he says, you might not have God at all. And so that's why I'm warning you about this because there's an issue. Verse 10, if any of you come unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So he comes to your house, he says, and he's saying something. You say, there's a door. Hit the road, Jack. Now that's true in a church. Very true in your house. What do you think is exactly how does that work? Uh, Didn't Jesus sit and talk with uh, publicans and sinners? Yes, he did. Matter of fact, that's what they got after him for. Every time we turn around, you're eating with a sinner. Now, John says here hey, if these people are like this, kick them out. Jesus sat down with them. And that's what I have heard through the years. Uh, You and the Jehovah Witness come to your house, kick them out of your house. Don't talk to them. Well, what do we do? See, it's not the same. It's not the same. All right. Those publicans and sinners that Jesus is talking to, have they decided and make up their mind that Jesus is nothing? We don't have to listen to him. No, they're sitting around the table talking to him, taking in what he says, and he's talking and he's teaching them, telling parables in their homes and everything, and he's teaching them. That's different. Now, was there people who came to Jesus and said, we don't believe who you are? Oh, yeah, Pharisees. Pharisees came along and they, Jesus said, uh, your sins are forgiven you. And he said, he can't say that. He's not God. He can forgive sins. And Jesus in his brilliance turns to them and says, what's easier? I forgive your sins or get up and walk? <laughs> I love it. I love it. What's easier? Well, we can't do either one. We can't forgive sins. We can't make that guy. They just drop through the ceiling a guy on a cot. And he comes right down in the middle of service. And there he is. He's eye level with Jesus now. And Jesus says to him, what's easier? What do you think? Think it's easier to say forgive him or get up and walk? And of course they can't do anything. They They won't say. Jesus, okay, get up and walk. And he gets up throws his bed over his shoulder and walks right out that door. Right. And so there is a defiance in people against God. And that defiance and that rebellion is what we're watching for. That some people are determined to find error, to find true, to say this is not true, this Bible doesn't have facts, There's a lot in the Bible that's a myth. Uh, The Noah's flood is a myth. Uh, 
There's a myth about the Garden of Eden that's all just a myth. And they, they, they make a direct attack on them. And for heaven's sakes, don't have them come into this church and talk. We're gone, baby. We ain't listening to you. Hit the road, Jack. Right? If there is a defiance against God, and that's what he's saying, you're going to meet people who have a defiant attitude towards God and say, this, Jesus is not the way. I had a guy come here once and he said to me, you know, there's lots of ways to God. I said, no, I don't think so. He said, oh, yeah. He says, Buddha and all the rest of them, they're all good. We'll all get there sooner or later. Well, he didn't last long. He didn't last long. It's a defiance against God. And he said that that defiance, these people are coming in in the spirit of Antichrist. They are against Jesus. And they're going to take your youngsters, and that's particularly, I think, why he sent the letter. You got young children in your home, you got young people there, and they are going to be more susceptible uh, to be influenced. They're vulnerable. More susceptible to be influenced. Because in these days, your house could very well be a church. Now, my house was once a church. It's an exciting thing. Um, In these days, there wasn't a church on every corner. There was no empty ones around. (laughs) They didn't have an empty one. We found an empty one. Yeah, let's fill this one up. All right. That's not the way it was back here at this time. Uh, churches were in houses, most of them were in houses till they got started in the year, 100 years into it, 200 years into it, and they were building churches. But before that, it's in your house. And so, very likely, this lady who was a prominent lady in society would open her house. In those days, uh, your house was more like a hotel. If you were traveling through and you were a prominent person, you say, you're welcome to stay here tonight. John says, you watch it. You watch it. And that was Jewish society in general did that. Jewish society, they didn't go to a hotel. You took them into your house. That's why when Mary and Joseph come to Bethlehem, there's no room left because everybody's coming to be taxed and they're all in every house in the whole city. The whole place is full. And even the inn, which is just an open place where people could stay, even that was full. So it was Jewish society, you can come in, and Paul, or John says to the lady, don't, don't do it. Particularly with the youngsters in your house. Because they are going to be more easily influenced and pulled away. So I don't want you to let him in your house if he defies God. It's not like Jesus and the, and the publicans. He's sitting down with them and talking with them. They're all together because they're receiving it and taking it in. All right. If somebody comes, you better watch your children, he said. He said, don't bid him Godspeed. Or don't say, well... God bless you anyways. You, you know, we don't, may not agree, but God bless you anyways. Off you go. Don't say that. Don't, don't give them God's blessing. They're anti-Christ. They're against Jesus. So you need to watch it. And he says, what's going to happen if these people come into your house, uh, you're going to settle in there, and uh, they're going to influence your children against the truth. 
And so be very cautious about that. And that's what he's warning us here. He's telling us. It's, it's easy. It's the human nature in us to stop and not be faithful. Not be faithful to the end. That's human nature. What do we sing in the song, right? Mm-hmm. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That there's a natural thing in us that, and you know, it sneaks up on you. You've been around the house and busy and doing the things, and you didn't read your Bible for three, four days. And Sunday's coming. You, did you pray? Did you pray this week? Well, gee, I guess I didn't. It's real easy to do. Real easy to do. And so that prone, I'm prone to wander. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts of God. So he's warning about these people are out there. And in the society that they were living in, very easy because, you know, the come, guy comes in and he says, I'm a preacher. Oh, okay, we like preachers. Come on in. Who knows if he's, what he's going to say. All right? Because it's not like today. You know, today he says, well, I came from this college, and we know, eh, I'm not listening to you. All right? <laughs> Some of those colleges out there, for heaven's sake, don't listen to what they say. All right? And then there's others who say, I came from this college or that Bible school, or I went through this church, and I worked with that pastor, and we trust them. All right? We have some background on them. We trust them. In that day, there wasn't much background, and so it was easy to have somebody come in and fool you. Now verse 12. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink. But I trust to come to you and speak face to face that our joy might be full. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, they say, well, Eric, you're old-fashioned. You bet I am. I'm old-fashioned. I'd rather talk face to face than on a phone any day. Any day. I don't want to talk on a phone. People say, I call you and you say three words. I say, well, I had to say hello, so that was one. <laughs> I got to say thanks, and that was the other one, and then one more in between is all I wanted to say. I want to see your face. I want to talk to you face to face. And John says, I got a lot of things I could tell you. He said, but I'm going to wait because I'm coming, and I'm going to sit down here, and then we're going to talk face to face. It's going to be so much better. Why? He says, because you will be happy here that way. See, in that little thing you call a text, You can text me all you want. I don't even have a phone. (laughs) I won't get it, you know. Now, there's nothing wrong with a text, and you use them all the time. I understand. If we're going to talk about spiritual things, we're going to talk about things that matter. Uh, I think face-to-face is the best way, always. And John says, I wrote this letter because... I wanted to just warn you that there's people out there that are going to get in your house and affect your children and have a bad influence on your children and on your house. Don't let them in. Now, when I get there, we'll talk about it and we'll explain it. We'll get it all out and it'll be good. 
all right? But he says, I'm just warning you that before I get there, you don't let this happen. And obviously, it's been common, or he wouldn't have brought it up, okay? And so he feels a need, even though he plans a visit in the not far distant future, he's uh, planning a visit, but I want you to know it'll be much better when we talk face to face. And so it's a little short letter because he said, I'll be there, and when I'm there, you will be happy. We'll talk and we'll be happy. It'll be so much better when we talk face to face. And then here we go, verse 13. You've got to get to the end sometimes to get your answers. The children of thine elect sister greet thee. Amen. <laughs> so apparently she's got a sister. And her sister's children, cousins, you know, may be the ones who delivered the letter. Because you understand here that they don't drop it in the mailbox, right? <laughs> we write a letter, and then who's going up to Ephesus or wherever it is and delivered us? Well, I'm going up there to meet my cousin. Well, here, here's a letter. Drop it off. All right. So he says, well, your, your uh, children, your sister or your nieces and nephews are coming to see you, and uh, they're going to deliver the letter and so it is. And so we know it's John because uh, it just sounds like him. We talk about these large concepts, again, and truth that came from Jesus Christ. And then he says, here's my warning. There's deceivers about, people who are anti-Christ. Not people who are searching for truth, but people who are against truth. He said, they're going to come into your house. They're going to mess your kids up. And you need to be on top of it. Don't let them in. And you find out that's what they are. And for heaven's sake, don't say, God bless you. Off you go. Don't say that. You know, let, don't, don't encourage them in any way. Uh, and my uh, friends here who are your relatives, I'm sending to see you. So... I think it is a lady. I would agree with the people on that side. But if it's a church, it doesn't make any difference. Text is the same. Okay, doesn't make any difference. So it's just a little exercise. And how do we think about these things? And how do we compare them? And that's how we do it. Next we go to Third John. It's a whole other different kind of thing. All right, we won't get the same ideas at all next week in Third John. And we will also go on to the Book of Jude. So we'll do these four in a row. All right, thank you.